the survival guide to life a podcast about how to win in life every second physically mentally spiritually financially consistently everyone we got another episode of survival guide to life and today we have a very special guest her name is janice isman is that did i pronounce it right Oh, is it Eisman Isman? Eisman. Eisman. Okay, got it the second time. So. And uh, <laughs> I'll just, you know, let her just tell you who she is because no one can tell you about them better than themselves. This is true. I am the owner and founder of My Body Picture. And what I do for a living is help people feel better in their body. So that could be on a fitness platform that can be on a nutrition platform but I work towards helping people develop sustainable realistic practical plans for maintaining their body most people that come into me come in because there is something that isn't feeling great in their body so that could be a sore neck sore shoulders sore back sore knees things like that or they just notice that their nutrition plans are just not really working for them so I help them to come up with something that actually is workable for their life, their lifestyle, and their goals. And most of what I do is nothing that would look like traditional fitness. It's, um, and even it doesn't also look like a, a typical nutrition plan because I'm trying to educate clients on how to do this themselves and get the underlying knowledge so that people can actually move towards sustainability. So in a lot of ways, I'm teaching you things that nobody ever taught you in junior high and high school. Okay, so that's uh, really cool and awesome. Like, first thing I want to commend you on is like, you know, the entrepreneurship and that aspect. That's really awesome. You know, I just recently finished like a business course at Harvard on just entrepreneurship and just like started my own like marketing and social media advertising so how did you have your mindset and like how did you decide to you know start this and take this route well it actually started a long time ago before I even knew that this is what I was doing. Um, I was not athletic in high school or junior high. And in fact, I was definitely the student that was in my high school phys ed teacher's office crying because my phys ed grade was bringing my average down. So actually that helps me every day in my career because I'm not somebody who came to this naturally. I didn't necessarily just have this gift of athleticism <laughs> bestowed upon me. So when I went to post-secondary education, I did discover that I actually liked running. I liked the meditative, kind of repetitive nature to it. But particularly because I hadn't come from that more athletic background, it ended up giving me an injury. So I see this now every day in my, in my business. But if I knew then what I knew now, I could have fixed that knee injury in less than a week, but I didn't. And so I went to a whole bunch of different practitioners who gave me all kinds of advice and the knee pain did not go away. So I was seeking a solution so that I could actually continue to exercise and to live comfortably and to walk up and down stairs and sit at desks um, without pain. So very basic functions that I was looking for. But I didn't find it until somebody referred me to a Pilates studio. And this was back in the 1990s, uh, before Pilates is what we know it as today. And I walked in and noticed immediately that it was just something very, very different. And I ended up falling completely in love with it and thinking that I wanted to teach it. And this was kind of back in the day before we had what we would now call vision boards, which are super common, but I would cut pictures out of magazines, paste them into a little notebook, carry the notebook around. And one of the things I had in my notebook was that I wanted to own a Pilates studio someday. But that wasn't really, um, I mean, actually in those days, that wouldn't even have been a feasible opportunity because there wasn't anywhere to even really train in Pilates. You had to go to New Mexico and it was still something that basically only dancers actually did. So I carried on with a completely separate career. And that career uh, took me to Toronto, where eventually 
more than a decade later. I knew that I was going to be leaving the city, and Toronto actually happened to be the headquarters of the world's largest global Pilates brand. So I thought, well, I've, I've been carrying this little picture around in my notebook for a decade, so either let's, let's take action on this or let's get this off my list. So I decided while working my second job to go ahead and take my Pilates certification. And I didn't actually ever intend for it to be a career change, but that's, you know, this was the start of the career change. So for a year, I would get on my bicycle after work and bike about a mile up the hill and go to Pilates. And, and, you know, it was 800 hours of training. So it was a fairly significant program that I did. Then I ended up moving with my career to New York City, where I continued adding training and becoming more and more interested in this element of my life. And part of what I liked about the trainings that I did was that I had a network of people that were also really interested in health and fitness. And that was a primary motivator. So I thought I was doing it for myself. But the deeper I got into this work, the more puzzle pieces kind of started dropping into place. I did a holistic nutrition certificate um, I did a technique called Yamada body rolling, which I have taught for 14 years and am now a teacher trainer to teach other people how to teach this and just started to notice what an impact I could make in other people's lives. So I had a full-time job and I was investing a lot of my spare time and my disposable income in this side hustle. And not even fully aware until I actually opened my business how much time and energy was going into this. So I did what they, the classic experts, tell you to do when you are going to transition, which is that while I was employed, while I had an income and stability, I took my training, I invested in equipment, I networked, I did experimentation with clients to um, start working with people and see who I liked working with and what kind of results I could get and how much to charge people, etc. So eventually, I actually worked in the media and the media world was undergoing tremendous shifts and it was time for me to exit the media because the world that I had entered um, was not the same world that was that I left the business in. And I moved uh, to Canada and had a child and opened my business. So I just, within a one year period, I, <laughs> I kind of literally jumped into the, into the pool. And when I unpacked all of my belongings from New York, I really realized that this was the direction that my life had actually been moving in for quite a while, even if I wasn't really aware of it. So the entrepreneurial path almost found me rather than me seeking it out. Okay, so th that's uh, really interesting, and uh, just the way it played out, I, I always say that, you know, like, every entrepreneur, it's like, they were born to be an entrepreneur. It's true. It, it's and true. It, it is, it, it, it's funny, because I have this other thing, you know, like, uh, your vibe kind of attracts your tribe, and, like, if you have, like, the like a focus, or, you know, your, your targets to do something, and whatever it is you're doing you're gonna put that energy out there and like like-minded people who are doing the same thing will just come come across you so i feel like that's that's how we uh you know came across each other and then just with your entrepreneurial uh, journey uh before i go into like the holistic and like the other stuff i wanted to just take note and like how you went about doing that like you said, you know, you went to see what your market was and you run experiments like great entrepreneurs. You have, you have to keep running experiments and just see yeah. what you, who your target market is and then what to charge them. Like Correct. that's like on the spot. So uh, really uh, excellent work there. And then with your holistic healing and like um, what did you learn that you say that you didn't learn before after taking that time to understand it better? Uh, my statement of if I knew then what I know now. Um, <laughs> well, particularly when it comes to our bodies and nutrition, there is 
typically a really loud voice in our culture that says, this is what you do. So if you want to lose weight, there is kind of a method given to us. And I'm going to poke on that one for a moment. So in the last couple of years, we've kind of cycled through gluten-free, followed by paleo, followed by keto. And those voices are really loud on Instagram. They're really loud on Facebook. They're really loud if you kind of go into the office. And so when I was trying to heal my knee, we have the same thing going on in fitness and our bodies as well. This is what we do. This is the path to it. But for those people who are not finding success in that path, what do we do? And actually, as it turned out in this case, that is quite literal. Um, After my knee injury, the University of Calgary discovered that knee injuries and runners are usually caused up at the hip. So I needed to strengthen my glutes. I needed to um, lengthen and get more flexibility in my quads. But that wasn't information that was available at that time. So I got that through the Pilates work, but that loud voice of this is how we heal knees wasn't, it wasn't saying strengthen the glutes, you know, generate additional flexibility in the quads. So the work that I do today is very much based on, we don't, I don't follow trends. I follow the person's body and what's actually working for that person's body. So it's more intuitive body of work as opposed to let's do keto, let's do the caveman diet, let's do gluten-free because that's working for some people. Everybody's body is a little bit different. So coming up with that formula for each specific person is actually what I love doing. Yeah, and that's what comes with just time and expertise on just trial and error. It it is. It's a huge, I love that word that you used earlier, the experimentation, because I, I do see in the business coaching circles now, there's a big push towards before you take one step, you're supposed to know who your ideal client is and build out that avatar. But that doesn't happen sitting down with a piece of paper in a week. That happens over the course of you know weeks and months and years working with people and figuring out where your gift is and what you're great at and who you like working with and who actually comes to you. Because even is setting a target market, there's no guarantee that that market is going to be who actually comes to you. So I think that's what I've done in my, in my practice for years is everybody that comes in is an experiment and I dialogue with them. I get more information at the same time that I'm giving them information and that all goes into that big database of expertise and business building is actually no different. It's, it's all an experiment where we move one variable, we see what happens, and then the next decision is based on that building block. Yeah, and that's where a great entrepreneurs are built. And then the fact that you went and started this right after, you know, giving birth and being a mother, I could just imagine, like, what was it like, you know, trying to manage, okay, personal life, business life, and, like, balancing the both and not, like draining too much energy um you know that's a great question i'm gonna give two answers to that the first is that actually i had never owned a company owned a business without having a child and i'd never had a child without owning a business so both of those experiences were fairly new to me and i did them at the same time so i can't say that i know what one is like without the other so that actually probably helped because it wasn't like i started a business and then had a child and then realized the overload or had a child and then started a business and realized the overload so it was just it because they happened almost at the same time i can't even extract one from the other but the other thing i would say is i really had to let go of the idea of perfection because i definitely was a perfectionist before this Um, I probably still somewhere underneath it all am, but I had to let go of let's do everything perfect because there wasn't time to do it all perfectly. So actually the day I opened my business, I didn't have any decor in the business. I had my basic equipment and in my head I thought, well, I have this service. I still can provide the service. And if somebody's not coming into my business because I don't have a 
let's say, for example, a chair, well, then, you know, that's not my client right now. So I, I built that over time as opposed to putting pressure on myself to have the perfect business and the perfect scheduling system and the perfect everything before I can open. So I really learned and practiced to take one step at a time to really break it all down. And not that I'm sloppy or do a bad job, but just knowing what area I have to exert that perfectionist effort in and what areas I can kind of just say, well, it's okay. You know, nobody's sitting down in here anyways. We're exercising. We don't need a chair. <laughs> okay. So then just, you know, just with going into that and then you said now that, you know, you're training people to train others, what's that transition been like? And could you just elaborate a little more on the implementation of utilizing it? Yeah. Um, I think that once we have done something for a long time, we do develop an expertise in it. And I had an opportunity to become certified to train other instructors, which is amazing. So, um, I'm able to work with people anywhere throughout the world and teach them one of the techniques that I teach. And I feel really privileged to be able to do that. So I'm still working with clients, but then I'm also able to work with brand new instructors and take them through part of the process I went through to get here. So I love doing that um, because it is a bit of a mentorship chain where I remember being in their shoes. It was 14 years ago, which is a while, but I remember going through that training. I remember all of the questions and kind of what that's like. And so it's, it's, it's part of almost the cycle of life where I was once in their position and 14 years later, I'm able to shepherd them through it just as somebody shepherded me through it. So the, um, that's really cool. And I, um, being able to just see yourself in that transition. And uh, right when you were saying, you know, I think it was at the point where I became that expert. I think it was Malcolm Gladwell in his book, The Outliers, said it takes like about 10,000 hours it's to be like a, yeah, a master at something. And you know, I will say, because I did this for six years part-time, I really underestimated how much more I had in me when I did it full-time. So there is a huge difference between seeing a part-time practitioner or teacher and a full-time practitioner or teacher. This is what I do. It's what I'm immersed in. It's, you know, I see, I see as many clients in a day now as I used to in a week. So that level of expertise, you're, you're taking through those hours so much faster. And to be clear, I still have a lot to learn. I mean, the, the particular career I've chosen has an endless ceiling. I, I will be learning for the rest of my life, both from other practitioners and from clients and students. But there's definitely a huge curve as I continue to see clients that every one of those hours adds knowledge to my base that I can then share with other clients. This, uh, that's very... Uh... The, the just the way you've put that like not many people you know they'll just be like oh yeah I'm, I'm an expert and I think I got it but the fact that you said you know I can learn both as well from my clients as well from teachers and just utilizing that that sort of comprehension and understanding I think a lot of people can benefit from you know having you as an instructor with what's going on now and this whole, you know, pandemic, how are you seeing clients? Are you still seeing them or do you do it virtually or how, how do you go about that? That's a good question. So in the particular jurisdiction where I live, my business is allowed to be open and has been since June 15th. So from March 15th That's to awesome. June, I was mandated to be closed. And within three hours, I was actually fully um, transition to an online environment. So not all of my clients made that decision to move online, but the ones who did continued to get great service and great results. We were able to actually do some really great work 
during that pandemic that we may not have actually done in the studio because you're dealing with different equipment, different angles, different instruction techniques, etc. So it was a really exciting time for both my clients and for me. Now we're back to something that looks like regular, and I put that in quotations because, of course, we have all of our social distancing mandates and practices. Um, so there are some shifts and changes. I'm not touching my clients these days, and I'm I'm keeping a distance. But um, people are back into my studio space. But I've actually kept the digital component, and so again, I find this just a really exciting growth and forward movement to my business because commercial space is extremely valuable, but it is also location dependent. So that means that somebody needs to drive to me, they need to park, and they need to have that time to do that. Um, So with digital services, I can now see anybody throughout the world, although most of my clients are in North America. I can see clients that have moved away. I can see clients that are on vacation. I can see clients that maybe don't feel well, but they're well enough to work out, but they maybe just have a headache and don't feel like coming in that day. So it has changed my delivery model to be more expansive and more inclusive. And everybody is now really comfortable with Zoom technology and other technologies that include video. So we're able to move the program with the person as opposed to it being just stuck in one spot. So I plan on having a fully hybridized business going forward because right now it's working beautifully. Uh, Some clients want to do one stream, some clients want to do the other stream, and a lot of clients are kind of doing some combination of both. So yeah, that's... um awesome really good implementation of like just scaling and like yeah. adapting to your environment and i feel like yeah. uh, just with business you know it like forced like a lot of business to like figure out okay how are we gonna proceed and move forward and continue and like not let this affect us too much whether it be like financially or just even socially or you know just being able to network and the utilization and how we've just like came towards this um, videoing and just, you know, like this augmented reality, so to say. And, right. Yeah, and like just going into that, like I, I just recently was scrolling down LinkedIn and they have this thing now called like Roundtable for oh. conferences to like happen virtually so you don't have to be there. And, cool. Right? And then j- just you doing that, it is true because you can like literally now from just being able to have your studio in like Edmonton, Alberta, right? It's in Calgary. Oh, sorry, Calgary, Alberta. And close, then, very close. All right, and, Cal- and then just being able to see those, now you can like sort of expand and like literally be like globally and have Absolutely. So in the last six months, I've had clients in Vancouver and in California and in Florida and in Toronto, etc. So it's really exciting because people don't have to, our lifestyles aren't necessarily sitting in one spot, although for the last six months they have been, but many of my clients have very mobile lifestyles, so they're able to do this work wherever they are and vice versa, and they don't ever have had to have a base here. They might or they might not. So I think it's a really exciting update to be able to access services from anywhere at any time. So I have some services that are actually offered on demand. They are recorded and then you can just do them whenever you want. Obviously other sessions are live where you get feedback and interaction. So there's different ways to actually offer services now that I just didn't have available to the same extent six months ago. See, the um, I just like your, um, you know, the mentality of the entrepreneur and like, you know, just instead of like looking at a thing like, oh, you know, this is going to harm my business. What am I going to do? You look at it as like, how can I use this and like grow from it? Right. Well, early in the pandemic, I actually remember saying, this is the moment that separates business owners from entrepreneurs. 
Yeah. Because almost anybody could own a business, but to have that entrepreneurial mindset where you are able to have the grit and the resilience and that opportunity seeking isn't within everybody for sure. And it's it's funny and amazing you said resilience because I learned my first uh, podcast episode was, you know, building an entrepreneurial mindset or like how to think like one. And resiliency is like the key factor, like, you know, the foundation building blocks, you know, it's like being able to stick through those tough times. So, you know, like anyone who's just like listening or, you know, like they're thinking of like giving up on their business or, you know, trying to call it quits. Like, is there anything you would say to them to like, you know, just like lift them up and like, just like, you know, look towards the long run, you know? Yes. Um, I think it was, it was about three years ago. I was sitting at the five year mark of my business and the truth is owning a business is not for the faint of heart. It is like having a child where you are constantly responsible. It's always on your mind. There aren't weekends free of it. There aren't evenings free of it. You don't just kind of close the laptop and not think about it until the next morning because you are responsible for the entire operation. And in my case, I also have a business where I fit into people's leisure time. So often in the evenings and on weekends, I will get client correspondence. So I'm not running a business to business. I'm running business to consumer. So I was actually feeling personally burned out by my business and I had to renew my lease. So was a decision point, do I continue or do I close the business? And I remember sitting crying in my living room with my friend saying, I see why business is closed after five years. The business owner quits. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think almost everybody who's ever owned a business would tell you that they've had at least one moment like that. So fortunately, my friend at that moment had the foresight to take out a piece of paper was a piece of my son's construction paper. So I'll always remember that it was a blue piece of construction paper and we got one of his yellow markers and wrote out, she divided the page in half and said, okay, if you were going to close this business, what else would you do for a living? So at that point I was years out of my media career. I also was in a different city and where, you know, this isn't a media based city. I didn't have that base of professional contacts here. So the list that I created was super short. Maybe there was four or five things on it. So there was certainly some transferable skills from my entrepreneurship world, but I was going to have to restart not only this career, but the the one I had before it. Then once we completed that half of the page, she said, what are ways that you could grow and expand your business or make changes to it? And we filled that whole side of the page with yellow pen ideas. And I can't tell you, honestly, if I ever even implemented a single one of those ideas, but what came out of that was a sense of abundance of all the things I could do as an entrepreneur. And I do love business ownership. I have that entrepreneurial personality, but knowing that there wasn't just three or four options but it was literally a full page, changed the whole scenario for me. So I actually changed my entire business after that. I still have private clients, but I added group clients. I added pre-recorded videos. I am a paid writer. I sell products. I became a teacher trainer. And not to spread myself too thin, but so that I wasn't grinding through, it takes a lot of energy to see clients. I give every client so much. And so to create some other revenue streams so that I could continue to give my clients so much. And that actually really helped during the pandemic because I actually have five revenue streams for my business. So I can, you know, when my when my physical studio was closed, I still had four other revenue streams to to actually generate income for the business. But I think the message and the reason I want to share that story is because if we are an entrepreneur and we're trying to own our own business, we have to see that whole page of options and opportunities. And just being in that mindset of abundance uh, where maybe 
maybe today was hard. Maybe this week was hard. Maybe your revenue isn't where you want it to be. There's always ways to add a new yellow line. Whereas on the other side of life, maybe we don't have those options. And so being able to constantly generate that sense of, if this doesn't work out, here's a backup plan. Here's another direction I could go in. Here's a way I could shift or change or grow my business in a new way. And um, I think that's like one of like core fundamentals, you know, just being able to adapt and like see, okay, if anything were to go wrong or if this were to happen, what would I do? Yes, it's going to. <laughs> <laughs> and then how, how would we go like, you know, uh, avoid that? And like, if like, how can we get past that? And yeah. just seeing that and, um, you know, being able to do that, that's exactly what you said, you know, it separates the business owners from the entrepreneurs, but even more on just being entrepreneurs, like, you know, I feel like, especially as a woman, like it's not promoted or it's kind of like negated or like, oh, it's not really a a female role. So I want to commend you for that and like try to like, maybe you know encourage or like give more confidence to the other women out there you know like who kind of want to pursue this entrepreneurial journey but have all this noise from outside like holding them down yeah i think i don't spend a lot of time thinking that's really interesting actually because i don't spend a lot of time thinking of myself in a special category of female entrepreneurs, but you're absolutely right. I think that often women will skew towards entrepreneurship that also is associated with another company. So for example, there's a lot of multi-level marketing female entrepreneurs, which is a different kind of entrepreneurship than going and signing a commercial lease and being fully responsible for the branding and operating of a business. And I do think that we as a culture and society do need to prop up our female entrepreneurs and show what is possible because it's, it's frankly, it's an amazing career path when you have a child because you have flexibility and freedom that you don't have when you have a corporate job. Yeah, and it, it, it's it's funny you mentioned, you know, the multi-level marketing because I was actually, you know, down that path like a few years in my career and like I left it. And it's one thing to do that and, you know, um, run that and everything because in the end of the day, there's still someone else. Exactly. Like telling you and like allocating where you're going. But just to do that on your own and do that, is a whole nother ball game and the ability to do it and do it successfully you know it's like only the few can be in that club and i think before you remove the trampoline of support from underneath you what is helpful is having experience in sales in marketing because those are what keeps your business going. You need revenue in that business. And a lot of entrepreneurs, especially in my sector, have the skill set and the passion in what we're executing. So we love teaching yoga, or we love nutrition, or we love what have you. But at the end of it, we need to invest in the skill set of sales and marketing because that's where we actually become business owners. We need to have that revenue and client services and we need to be able to market to our clients and then close the sale. So if there was one thing I was going to, or if there's one thing we should culturally kind of teach to women, it is that sales component. Um, and it is that marketing component so that that will keep those businesses afloat. So was this now something you just knew right away or you just learned over time or you kind of like had a mentor like helping you and guiding you through the way? Well, back when I had my knee injury, I was lucky enough to be 
in school for a Bachelor of Commerce. So I actually have a business degree, and I will tell you that that's always been a bit of a leg up as well, because from a very young age, that was a lot of those principles and messages were really foundational to me. I also was lucky enough to actually grow up on a farm. And although we don't culturally talk about farmers as entrepreneurs, that's exactly what they are. They own their own business. It just happens to be land-based. So without really recognizing it, that was my heritage, my lineage. And I recognized a couple months ago during this pandemic how foundational that really was for me. We would have years where a hailstorm would come and take out the crops. We would have years where there was almost no rain. And so without sitting down at the kitchen table and getting these profound life lessons from my dad, he really did teach me those life lessons of we keep going. Because in the case of that kind of business, you can't just sell the land and start a new farm next year, right? So it's very much an attitude of let's not panic. We carry forward. We do our best. We make decisions. We run some numbers. Things that I had to do in the last six months and probably have had to do all along. So those are two things that certainly in my childhood and young adulthood absolutely fully prepared me. I I should never use the word fully prepared. Prepared me on a different level than some other people may may have the benefit of. So that's really uh, awesome. And uh, that just goes back to me and I, I just want to like emphasize it. I'm like, you know, like the entrepreneur there, it's in their blood and like they don't look for it. They're just found and they're like brought to their path. And uh, just with being in a farm, so just like at that young age, you kind of like see and like innately without you even realizing, right? You're, you're learning, learning and taking in these rules or yes. these aspects of it. And then, going on later and being able to utilize it Correct. so now Correct. and frankly that's that's what my son is being exposed to whether he knows it or not he's seen me work through the pandemic he comes to my office every day and it's that same level of exposure to this is just how things are you don't think anything of it when you're a kid but if you didn't grow up like that that doesn't mean that you can't develop those skills and that entrepreneurial mindset or thought what I would suggest is that one builds a network of other entrepreneurs because one of the biggest components to being an entrepreneur is learning how to go with the waves we're going to have times like this year with the pandemic where it's a big wave <laughs> you know? um, other times those waves are smaller but it's, it's very rare that an entrepreneur has a completely stable income or stable external environment to work with so just being around other people who are able to remain calm during these times and come up with those lists of ways that you can grow or change is going to be very helpful because it's a different way of thinking. So if you didn't come from that lineage, I would suggest networking into that lineage. Yeah, so it sort of rubs off on you, right? They say the people you <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So just to go in on like, you know, just nutrition and stuff, just to like give the audience like kind of a dabble in like how you are. Um, so I have my morning breakfast shake. I use, I just want to see your opinion on it. You know, I, I use okay. some, okay. Uh, just some protein powders, oatmeal, then a scoop of like some green superfoods. Oh, sweet. Nice. Some maca powder, a little chia seed, and then some acai. And uh, just a little peanut butter and just water. Oh, yeah, I like it. <laughs> so uh, I, no- I did notice, though, like, the days that I do have that, I'm way more energized and, like, whoop, like jet set than, like, a day where I just, like, oh, let me get a double shot of espresso and, like, try to get right. the day going. So right. So I that ca- was actually going to be my question was how does your breakfast make you feel and – how long is that energy in your body sustained? So that, that, that's what I wanted. I was going to say, so that's where it probably comes in, right? Where it's yeah. more the energy and like what you're putting in your body. Correct. 
things that actually makes humans humans is that we evolutionarily adapted to be able to eat anything and basically survive. So we can eat an all-fat diet, we can eat an all-carb diet, we can eat an all-protein diet, and we're probably not going to die. However, most of us have something that seems a little bit more optimal. 98% of us probably need to up our intake of fruits and vegetables, particularly, and if you're only going to up one of those, go for the veggies. Uh, And I actually have a huge personal... Um, favoritism towards smoothies because that's a great platform where we can add I actually add um, ground spinach to mine it's a little bit sweet so it's dehydrated spinach you can just toss that in there I mean we're so spoiled in our in our modern lifestyle I add often wheatgrass I mean I don't have to chop it down I don't have to dehydrate it just scoop it in there and then I know that I've already got a couple servings of vegetables because all kinds of dietary theories exist out in the planet because people thrive under slightly different dietary regimens. So some people really do do well on paleo. Some people do great on keto, but that isn't a universal for all people. The only dietary universal that every dietitian, every public health official, every nutritionist will tend to agree on is eat your vegetables. So that's one of the reasons I actually love smoothies in the morning because for most people they are basically a place where we can get either fruits or veggies in greater quantities than are typically eaten throughout the rest of our meals. It's uh, crazy, but um, you wouldn't believe it. Uh, first, to this day, I've never eaten a fruit in my life. What? <laughs> yeah, and then... Oh. Second, like, I, it took me until I was, like, maybe 16 or 17 to even try vegetables. I don't know. My, wow. my, my mom never gave them to me as a kid. So oh. while growing up, I kind of developed this thing where, like, I can't do it. And, like, I just, like, it's, like, in my psyche. Like, I, I, I've had people even offer me, like, $1,000 to, like, eat a banana or, like, take a bite of apple. I'm like, you can keep huh. your money. I don't want to do that. <laughs> But I try, I know it's like, uh, I try to like use superfoods or try to like, yeah. I, now I love spinach, so I'm like you, you eating that, but I won't eat like tomatoes or certain other things. So what would be something like you'd suggest someone like who, who kind of like me and like doesn't dabble so much in like healthy foods to still get their nutrition? Well, you already, you already identified one of the first directions that I would go in is added to a smoothie. If you are still averse to even that, uh, there are dehydrated caps encapsulated fruits and vegetables that I have actually suggested clients take. Um, now, I mean, there. then we get into a little bit of murky territory because if we literally hate them, maybe our body is telling us yeah, you're not a fruit and veggie person. But within reason, that's one of the first places I start because breakfast is usually at home. It's not usually at a restaurant and it's usually a routinized activity. So lunch and dinner can be things where when it's not a pandemic, we can get busy. We can, maybe we're going out for lunch. Maybe we skip lunch that day. Maybe you forgot your lunch at home and you run out to the convenience store or the bodega to grab something. So what I mean by that is breakfast tends to be the most controlled meal of the day in terms of it's almost always at the same time, you've got a little routine, you you know, you kind of, people tend to do the, exactly the same thing that first hour to two hours of the day. So that is often the place where I go first just because we can kind of wrangle that in much more easily than dinner where we might be eating out, we're dealing with social constructs and social norms. So for example, um, if we're trying to eat more vegetables and we're trying to do that at a restaurant in front of a whole bunch of friends or you're at a friend's house, that it's just, you're into territory where those decisions might not be as much under your power. So that's the first place I actually always go for clients is let's look at breakfast because we typically have a lot more control. I, 
you know, I was going to say discipline. That's not what it is. We're just, we're in routine. So that's a great place to kind of start the day strong. And then also I think that when we do that, so you just gave an example of a great kind of breakfast. Um, you've got your protein, you've got your fat, you've got your fruits and your vegetables. That sets a standard for how you feel right away. So then if you go out and you eat Doritos and Taco Bell for lunch, maybe you're just going to notice your energy dips, you're more tired, you're not feeling as good. So if we can get at least one meal into that place of improvement, it gives us a baseline for how we could feel. And then we're going to start to notice how those other meals make us feel. And that's actually kind of how I work. I don't ever give people meal plans or tell them they have to eat a certain food. That smoothie you gave, maybe that's disgusting to somebody else. But what we want to do is get at least one meal in this place where we can get a baseline for how we feel and then start noticing how other food choices make us feel. There isn't a person in North America who's going to go eat a fast food meal and not have an impact from eating that meal. You're going to feel some sort of way two hours after you eat it. And so just kind of tuning in a little bit to, does this make me feel better? Do I feel worse? Is this how I want to feel? Is this my best life? And, you know, we can't always control what we're eating, but that's really what's going to help us is we're going to make our own great decisions if we understand how we can feel. So it's never going to be another practitioner. It's never going to be a meal plan. It's never going to be a nutrition plan where somebody sits you down and says, you have to eat these things. It's going to be, you're going to make those changes when you recognize how great you can feel. And then conversely, how awful you can feel. So that um, just that aspect, you know, just made me want to be more cognizant and like maybe even start a journal or like yeah. just make little notes in my phone just like, when I eat different things, just like my mood and like yeah. energy and like yeah. trying to see and yeah. gauge between. And, I, and I've had clients go through that exercise. Um, and we do have, I mean, we have resilience in our body to have some meals that are not perfect. It's usually, you know, in an ideal world, we eat 80% well and at least 20% that are just, it is what it is. But the more, you can do an exercise like what you just described, keeping a bit of a journal, the more you're just going to gravitate towards those things that make you feel fired up and awesome all day. So it's like, and we all need, I guess, like once in a while a cheat day, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Actually, research shows that um, people's body weights are the lowest on Fridays and Saturdays because we tend to have a bit more of a regimen for how we eat how we exercise during the week and then our body weight will actually go up a little bit on Sundays and Mondays as a result of our choices and behaviors on Fridays and Saturdays however that same research actually shows that that's what helps keep people on something of a plan it's those indulgences and those social occasions and those fun things that actually keep us going for the long run and that's why diets actually fail because when we try to just say, well, it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. It doesn't matter what restaurant I'm at. It doesn't matter what is tempting me. I'm going to say no to it all. We can't typically sustain that. So this isn't permission to go eat exactly, you know, <laughs> just go crazy on Friday and Saturday. But just know that that actually is a strategy to help you sustain it over the long run. Okay. That's good. So, um, just as we start like winding up and stuff, where can someone benefit from your expertise and like what are your social handles or like website and like how can they like get more insight from you? My business name is My Body Couture. It's three separate words. The first word is my, M-Y. Second word is body, B-O-D-Y. Third word is couture, C-O-U-T-U-R-E which just basically means customized body solutions. So my website is the .com, mybodycouture.com. And then I'm on Instagram and Facebook under the same name. I write under my own personal name for Elephant Journal. So that's Janice, J-A-N-I-S. Last name is Eisman, I-S-A-M-A-N. 
And I'm found under my own personal name on LinkedIn as well. So you can connect with me on any of those platforms and I'm creating a ton of content. Oh, and I also have a YouTube channel. So I'm under my personal name on YouTube, LinkedIn, and Elephant Journal. And then my business name on Facebook, my website, and Instagram. So I, I myself, I'm, I never got a chance to like try to delegate even a little time towards like Pilates. I've tried yoga a little. I I wake up, I do meditate, and then go to the gym, and then start my day. But this is a perfect opportunity to maybe take one of your yes. virtual classes and then yes, have firsthand, uh, you know, insight and can come back and then say all the benefits that I reaped from it. A hundred percent. I would love to have you. Okay. And, um, just to end, I always ask everyone to end with a quote or, you know, specifically, you know, any entrepreneur who's like listening to this or, you know, and, or just say anyone wants like nutrition or especially in this time, is there any quote that you've like come across just reading an article or just something that's resonated with you that you want to end, end this on? Yes, I actually absolutely love a book and a podcast called The One Thing. And it's the simplest concept for a book or a concept, and, or sorry, a book or a podcast. And it's basically anything you want to accomplish, break it down into the smallest piece possible. And they have a quote, I'm going to butcher this, but it's basically make it, what is the one thing you could do, the smallest domino, the lead domino that would impact everything else in your life and make it easier? And that always really sticks with me because usually when we think about whether it's opening a business or getting fit or eating better, we take on these huge things. And if we instead think of that lead domino, that tiny little one that you just give a little push to, everything else falls from there, we can accomplish that. And so whether it's opening a business, whether it's becoming fit in 2021, whether it's losing weight or feeling better in your body, just look for that lead domino. You guys heard it. Janice Eisman, everyone, thank you again. Thank you. So, uh, I'll edit it, and then uh, I'll have everything. I'll make also, um, like, a prom like little promotion flyer so you can uh, share, too. And then I'll put it on all my LinkedIn, awesome. Facebook, YouTube, everything. And um, awesome. I have a good outreach, so I'll also be in touch and also be in the next class I can be in, too. Well, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. It was uh, likewise. Thanks for again for your time and have an awesome weekend. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. What? It didn't record. No.